Florida State is the always answer, right? Because right. they've consistently recruited relatively well, even though they've been bad. And it just feels like they're a team and we're waiting on them to like get your stuff together, man. Like it's it's seriously. Like, it's like it's like your it's like your little brother who your parents pay to go to school who has got this really cool degree, but for some reason he just won't get a job, even though he's super qualified for all these things. You're just like, what are you doing, man? You don't have to live at home with mom and dad. You can just go get a job at any time and you just refuse to. And that's what it feels like with Florida State. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow, and I'm really excited to get this person on because I've known him for a long time and he's really a treasure in college football media. And we're blessed to have him uh, covering a sport that we all love in a way that frankly, a lot of us in college football media don't understand and can break down the way that this person can. So Michael Felder, hello from Stadium. Yeah. Um. Wow. Thank you so much. That was a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint people. Uh, but no, I'm excited to get to chop it up with you. It's been a, it's been a little bit too long. I'm looking forward to uh, talking a little football, talking a little bit of everything else too. Yeah, not to go super off of like what I told you we would talk about, but I just had this thought because we both went to Carolina around the same time. And I don't know if you saw this article the other day that came out and was like a look at the retrospective years of like the early 2000s in college. It made me feel so old that that's like become a retrospective. I um I saw some of it and I didn't re- I didn't get through the whole thing, but I was like, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. For me, none of that stuff makes me feel old. And I think part of it is going to be some of the stuff that we talk about, which is like so many things are just the same, especially like when it comes to recruiting that I'm like, eh, you know, what? it's it's the same as when I was there. It, nothing's changed. Uh, we just had, you know, maybe better depending on who who's who's doing the decision. We had better or worse music and better or worse clothes. Yeah, absolutely. I liked that they mentioned that you had to like take a digital camera when you went out, yeah. though, oh, because yeah. I had like forgotten that somehow. And then it was like, oh, yeah, that's right, because we didn't have cell phones. You had to have it like a digital camera and then hope that your embarrassing pictures didn't end up on a Facebook that back then our parents were not on. Yeah, parents, um. parents weren't on. Oh, listen, there's a there's this thing that I <laughs> my wife hates this, but I I stand by this all day because when Facebook came out, basically it was the Ivy League first and then UNC was in the second wave. So, yes. We I got Facebook summer 2004 and you had to have the .edu. I got Facebook from a friend who had friends that went to Ah, uh, goodness gracious. I think they went to, they were in school somewhere in, I think they were at either at Harvard or they were at Columbia or something. And they were like, you got to get this Facebook. You got to get this Facebook. So it was back then the Facebook and you had to have that .edu. So my wife was like, yeah, I got Facebook pretty early too. And I was like, no, your school, Michigan State wasn't <laughs> even on there. So you definitely didn't have it before I did. Yeah, exactly. Um it's interesting that you don't think a whole lot has changed in like in terms of recruiting and all of that stuff in t- almost 20 years now. Yeah. Not much has changed recruiting wise in like 20 years. The way that you contact kids has changed a lot, but for the most part, right. it's the same. It's and from doing the stuff that I did between Bleacher Report and Stadium, being around these kids, they remind me of me when I was their age. So it feels very <laughs> These guys keep me young. Like everyone else is like, oh my gosh, these guys are born in 2001. And I'm like, these guys are still concerned. Like when we shoot videos and stuff, they're worried about their acne. They want to look cool to girls. And like, that's the whole, that's what it is to be a teenage boy. 
No, you're right. It's interesting you, you, when you put it that way, because like, I'm one of those people that likes to act like that sometimes. Like, I feel so old. But then, you know, I mean, most of the guys I cover nowadays, it's really not. I guess it's, my conversations with them aren't all that different than like back in the day. You know, <laughs> it's really just a music thing. So when I when I talk to you, I always want to get your thoughts on tons of stuff. And, you know, the recruiting thing was interesting to look at. But I, I also wanted to, you know, get a little sense of it's interesting. North Carolina's gotten a lot of buzz this offseason for their yeah. recruiting. Um, and, you know, when it's this time of year, I guess you can be a little cautious because there's plenty of time to go before signing day and whatever. But is this something that we should pay attention to when it comes to North Carolina? Or are things going to even out a little bit when the dust settles in terms of this recruiting class? Like, how seriously should we take where they're at right now? I think you got to take it pretty seriously, um, especially given the climate that we're in currently. And listen, if we're not going to do a lot of in, of, of interstate travel, if we're not going to do a lot of getting on planes to go places, that means these guys and most of these guys, they're North Carolina kids. Most of them aren't going to be able to take trips to whether it's Georgia, who consistently steals kids from North Carolina or, yeah. uh, you know, or Florida, who consistently steals kids from from the state of North Carolina or even Tennessee, who consistently steals kids from the state of North Carolina, if they're not going to be able to take those trips, then what you know is what you, you only know what you know. And what they know is the school that's in their backyard and the coaches that they have relationships with. And by I mean real relationships. They've already had face-to-faces with these guys through junior days, and they've already had guys come visit them at school. And kid visit coach goes to visit a senior at their school while they're a junior, and guess what? Now you get you get you get to steal a little bit of some visit time and some face time to build that relationship. So, yeah, I think you've got to pay attention to it. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how recruiting works as we evolve through this pandemic. Um, I will say, I think that the staff is built built smart. Uh, obviously, you, you, you throw Thig in there, and Thigpen is such a great recruiter. Yeah. Uh, but Dre Bly too, like this is a guy that legitimately coached at. Myers Park, like he was doing some assistant coaching there, which guess where Drake Mays goes, Drake May goes to school, Myers Park, like, yep. come on. So <laughs> it's one of those things where, and then Myers Park plays a bunch of these other schools. So he gets a chance to talk to those kids and see those kids. And he knows those coaches and those coaches know him. And I think that's a, it's a, it's a staff that they're doing things that I don't think Larry Fedora did or did well, at least. And they're reconnecting to, to Charlotte. They're reconnecting in the Raleigh, the, in the, they're reconnecting in the triangle and the triad and they're working to get into Virginia. So I think that it's definitely going to be something that's interesting to see. Uh, they have really gone out and just kind of kicked the door down. And the, the, the focus on recruiting is something that I really enjoy and respect because it is the lifeblood of college sports. And this was the, this is why I was skeptical of Mac Brown because so much of what he did when he was at Texas felt like it was, you know, trying to stack the deck and, get done with recruiting early so it wasn't didn't become an issue during the season and Mac Brown feels like he's got that he's got his swagger back right like he's got that that juice back in that staff I think is probably is pretty is, is a big reason for that yeah that's what I was actually going to ask next of how much because I was concerned about that too in terms of like are these kids really going to have any idea who Mac Brown is I actually did a story at media day asking some of the players on other teams and they were like no idea <laughs> they had no clue <laughs> So I was like, well, if they don't know, I don't know why a bunch of high school kids would, you know, know, but their coaches do. And, you know, people in their lives, older people certainly know who Mac is. And I'm sure that plays a little bit of a role, too, because he's charming when he gets one on one with people. Yeah, if he can get you. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, man, if he can get you into that office, he can get you. And I think there are a handful of schools in the ACC 
that can say that um, both from like a campus standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, from a charisma standpoint. I think Clemson's another one of those. We saw Clemson, they were in that top five for a guy like Rashawn Gary, right, uh, several years ago. And people were like, how is Clemson in it with this school and this school? And this was before Clemson was, you know, won national championships. And then I was like, oh, because Dabo got him – they got him to campus and then they got him into the office and Dabo was able to kind of – it's not just him, you know, kind of whine and dine the kid. It's also the parents. And I think Mac Brown is also great with parents too, which is a huge part of recruiting is, listen, you're not just selling a kid. You're selling his family. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Clemson, does this – I mean, it's – cool for North Carolina and all. They've got this great class and whatever. Does that put them in position to potentially be that next school that can step up and compete with Clemson or is somebody else better positioned to be that school in the ACC to be the number two behind what I think we can all pretty much agree is established as the number one in Clemson right now? Clemson's a clear number one. Um, For UNC, I mean, I think it's going to take another one, another two of these these type classes that are really good, those top 15, top 20 classes. And but I think they're certainly further along than some other schools. I think that the Florida state is the always answer, right? Because they've consistently recruited relatively well, even though they've been bad and it just feels like they're a team and we're waiting on them to like, get your stuff together, man. Like it's, it's like, it's like, it's like your, it's like your little brother who your parents pay to go to school, who has got this really cool degree, but for some reason, he just won't get a job, even though he's super qualified for all these things. He's just like, what are you doing, man? You don't have to live at home with mom and dad. You can just go get a job at any time, and you just refuse to. And that's what it feels like with Florida State. It's just like, you're like, I'm. there's other schools that are out here legitimately. Like, Syracuse is busting their behinds. To, to, oh, interesting. To, Syracuse is busting their behinds to be good, right? BC, they they got they they're trying to they're bust they're working against the odds to be good and Florida State is like a kid they're 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 they are they have they're not reaching resource. their potential yeah they have every resource <laughs> you can want they, they have resources that Syracuse BC Pitt they would kill for and then they're just like nah I'm good we're just gonna be sorry. Well, it's it's weird, though. I mean, I just haven't talked to some people around there. I guess it's interesting that their donors don't have as big of pockets as you would, sure. you know. And so that, I think, plays somewhat of a role in terms of like who they can afford to buy out, for instance, when they were talking about Willie Taggart and yep. get getting a new contract. And I wonder how much that plays a role in terms of the rest of it. But I mean, they've managed just fine up until this point. So I don't yeah. know why it's suddenly hamstringing them. They just turned uh, and drove the car right off the cliff. I mean, it's yeah. good grief. Um, it's just it's it's very frustrating. Like, legitimately, uh, Brownlow, how many who who how many teams in the ACC would trade their roster for Florida State's roster? Oh, a lot. Most of them. Right, and when you see that, but then you see the results that we get out of Florida State. It's got to be incredibly frustrating to be a Florida State fan to know that technically or on paper, in theory, you're better than. Just about everybody that you play, with the exception of like Clemson and maybe a couple other teams, have really good um, chemistry. But you you're still losing to teams who would die to have the roster that you actually have. Well, I guess maybe O line would be the one exception, and I think that's sure. probably that's probably that's why they've it's probably why they're where they're at too, because that that O line was just so bad, and it's been it's going to so take bad. it's going to take even a few more years to probably fix, right? Yeah, because it's it, they're having a really tough time enticing kids to come play offensive line there, and I think that's been <laughs> one of the biggest problems, right? Like you, you go from where they were a stalwart offensive line, they had an offensive line coach who 
uh, was really, really good, but did not evolve in the way that they kind of wanted their team to evolve. And then obviously we see the issues with the offensive line, and then we see them repeat themselves, and then we see them repeat themselves again. So we're talking about, what, year three? We're going into year four of them not having a good offensive line. And if you're an offensive lineman, a really good offensive lineman, it's tough to sell them on going there because these guys want to go to the NFL. And if you want to go to the NFL, you can't play on a bad offensive line. It's it's. And the offensive line is one of those positions where your unit has to be good for you to look good. Because otherwise, if you're not, people aren't going to take a look at you or they're going to assume that you're part of the problem. They're going to assume that you can't get the job done. And so they are offensive linemen are making choices in recruiting that are impacting Florida State tremendously because they're not opting to go there. Yeah. Uh, is Mike Norvell? I mean, it's it's hard. It's too early to tell, obviously, I guess. But is that an inspired hire for them like do you think that's a good sign moving into the future or have you not really seen a whole lot yet to show you that it's good well here's the thing for me i i think norvell's a good coach i think i love the way that he got stuff done at memphis i think that the way that he approaches football is is smart it's fun but i thought a lot of those same things about willie taggart so i think the big key is going to be these guys this is unprecedented these guys are going to be i don't know if it's going to be easier on them because they don't have spring ball. They're going to have an abbreviated fall camp and all those things. They don't have summer school even. I don't know if it's going to be easier on them. People are going to be like, well, it's okay that they're bad because they didn't have X, Y, and Z. Or if people are going to be so hungry to be good that the pressure is going to ratchet up a little bit. I still don't have a gauge on that from a fan perspective. Uh, For me, from an X's and O's, from a football standpoint, I think he's going to find a way to a little better way to mask some of this offensive line issues. I'm very curious to see what their quarterback situation looks like. Oh yeah. I know that he, I know that he, he, the thing with Blackman is Blackman's got such a, he's got such a great arm in terms of pushing the ball vertically down the field, but to throw the ball 25, 35, 45 yards down the field, your offensive line has to block for a lot longer than quick trigger plays. And so how he handles, that's going to be quite interesting. Um, and we'll see what happens. I think for me, I love the fact that I think he's going to scheme up the run game to find some success running the football. And I think that's job one. We saw that at Memphis, right? At Memphis, they had so many guys that were so good running the football um, from Henderson uh, like, like, like to oh, oh yeah. my gosh, I can't that offense guy, was... <laughs> Pollard was, was a guy that got the ball and got, got the handoffs a couple of – pretty often too that made some plays they have guys that could they had guys that consistently do that florida state has the athletes to do that as well i think he can scheme that up it's gonna be really interesting to see how it works i just think that for me i am very curious i'm more curious of the macro of how these first year coaches uh norvell's lucky right he's an early hire he got at least he got a chance to at least know his team a little bit versus mel tucker at michigan state or Carl Durrell at Colorado, Nick Rolovich at Washington State, these guys who they walked in the door and then it was they were like, okay, we're shutting everything down. Oof, yeah, I know. Um so who is number two this like going into this season? Like it because that was an issue last year. It was like who's the second best team and nobody really knew. And it seemed almost inconsequential at times, like who is the second best team in the ACC doesn't really matter. And when you look at it this year, I guess you say North Carolina. I don't know. Yeah, I think he. I think it's probably UNC. I think Louisville. Um, yeah, probably should be in that discussion as well. They got two two Atwell coming back, and uh, another year. I, listen, I t- you talk, talk about offensive line with Dwayne Lefford. That that, that group's going to be good. Yes, 
That's a big, that's been a big loss for state too. Yeah. He's a hell of a coach. I absolutely love him. So I think they're going to be good. We saw, obviously saw Makai Becton get picked in that top 15 uh, as an absolute monster that was able to make plays. And I think that, again, we talk about it with Florida state, right? Where it's a negative. I think on a positive, if you can talk about having your NC state guys that you sent to the NFL, plus Makai Becton getting picked in the first round, even though Becton was good already, you clean them up a little bit more. And now all of a sudden you got this going. I think they're, they're going to be able to sell. They're probably going to be able to out recruit where they usually are from an offensive line standpoint, which is a good thing for them. So I think UNC and Louisville, uh, for my money, are probably the two that are, that at least, you know, walk into the building with their chest puffed out as, as being the number two. And then we'll see where the dust settles with everybody else because there's so much flux. Virginia loses so many pieces and Virginia Tech, the, the whole situation there with Fuente, I still don't, completely understand how how things have gotten oh. so rocky so quickly but i mean to go from and i guess when you lose and i guess virginia tech is sort of a uh uh, uh not a mirror image but very similar to florida state right where you've had so much consistency for so long from a coaching staff standpoint and then you lose something then you lose that person and then all of a sudden now you're like we're still not sure how much we're supposed to love this new guy and we don't even know if this new guy knows what he's doing compared to some of the to the old guy. So, and that's the continuity with Fisher to Bowden made things feel a lot more comfortable. But now, it almost feels like Florida State is just they're any other team without ties back to that era. Yeah, that's a good point. And with Fuente, it's interesting. Um, I I think you've seen some recruiting, I guess, issues. At least maybe I just follow a lot of Virginia Tech fans that are kind of in panic in panic mode here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I get it, but it's also weird to me how much. And I get it in a sense, but it's like like they they're not going to use the lunch pail anymore. Um, Getting away from all the stuff that the people identify right. with that the team, those kids on that roster, they went there to play that type of football. And yeah. getting away from it, changing your identity like that is huge. And but that's the same thing with with the Willie Taggart, right? And Jimbo care Jimbo slowly changed that program while he was on staff under Bowden, and then he made it his own. And obviously they won a national championship. Taggart tried to change all that stuff too, and there still were ties back to that Bowden era. And then you pull that rug out and it things get a little rocky because you're out there floating by yourself. Yeah, I mean, is Virginia Tech's recruiting situation as bad as um, the panic mode that I see on my Twitter timeline, or like, where are they at right now? It's not good. <laughs> Oof. Uh, where are they? Where's the? Where's what are they ranked right now? Um, right now, I think in the ACC they are, goodness gracious, eleventh right now. Oh, so, what? Yeah. Okay. The twenty twenty one cycle. It's um the thing for them. And this is one of those things. Virginia Tech didn't – they weren't doing top 10, top 15 recruiting classes all the time. But what they were doing were finding kids from the 757 that could really play football that wanted to be a part of that. And it just doesn't feel that way anymore. And they always – Virginia Tech knew if there's a good kid in the 757, we will get him. We, he's mm-hmm. coming here. And a couple of his friends or friends from other schools, those guys are going to come here too. And we're going to have a unit that's cohesive, that is all pulling in the same direction so that we can go out and make plays, right? Like you think about it, Virginia Virginia Tech wasn't a title contender when Kendall Fuller went there, but he was a five-star. And he's like, listen, my brothers went here. I'm going here. Like this is what's going to happen. And so it's it's one of those situations where – I don't know how to describe it. Like, 
because they are throw, they're putting their, they're throwing their hat into the ring. They're not winning though, and I think that for Virginia Tech fans, I know that they got a little frustrated with Beamer for not reaching for higher recruits that were out of area, like guys from whether it's you know Pennsylvania or whatever going up to go get kids. They always they feel they felt pretty good about whether it was DC or the seventh or the the Tidewater area, and obviously coming into North Carolina to grab kids, but they didn't go west or they didn't go north as much, and so. Fuente, I don't. I, honestly, I don't know if he has a plan for what he wants to do from a recruiting standpoint. I think that's the part that feels a little weird. Well, what's not great is it seems like he already has an exit strategy. You know, based on like <laughs> kind of flirt, like openly, you know, letting yeah. that stuff get out that he's flirting with another job, which is, in my opinion, that would have been very easy for him to hide. But he didn't seem to care about hiding it, which is almost more disturbing to me than the fact that he was like out there looking for another job. Well, I think that with that, it's one of those things where, what's the words? What are the words I'm looking for? Um, it's 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 nah, it's not Rich Rod in Michigan, right? It's not that. It's it's, but there are some some shades of that where he can tell that they don't love him, especially right. not as much as the way they love the other guy, or even at that point, previously Bud Foster on his own staff. <laughs> who did not have a great last couple seasons really, but no, um, which stinks cause he's so good. But the, but he's like, oh, they don't love me. I'll flirt. Over. It's one of like, I'll, if you're not giving me the attention that I want, I'll flirt with somebody else over here until you get upset. And then you come, I come back to you. It's um, yeah, it's, it's it yeah. But it's like that. It ain't working out that way. You know, no, it's like, really. like, okay, you can leave. It's Jimbo, you know, like Jimbo Fisher flirting with A&M. Flirting with jobs every offseason, especially after the season where things weren't great. Flirting, flirting. And then that next year of flirting, they were like, okay, go. Bye. Please. Right. Please go. Right. Well, especially because so. like he had he had just sort of mentally checked out. And you have to wonder, like you said, they're still putting their hat in the ring. But with Fuente, that's sort of the concern, right? As if like, okay, well, if you're flirting with other jobs, then how seriously are you taking the one that you have right now? If you already feel like yeah. you're going to be on your way out. You know, what and incentive how, do you have? Yeah. Yeah. And how comfortable do ki- our kids with the idea that you're looking at other jobs? Like, I don't want to come. Why would I go to a school when the coach is actively working to leave that school or at least actively working to show to pretend like he's leaving the school? And so it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes up. And again, it's going to be tough. Like recruiting, the world of recruiting has changed remarkably in the last, good grief, call it this. I mean, in the last three months, right? Where Sure. You went from junior days and kids getting excited to go watch spring ball and go to spring games and put on the big shows. And I thought it, I found it pretty interesting. Like I feel really, I feel bad for a Colorado or for a Nebraska. Remember when they opened up all those spring, the spring uh, official visits. Yeah. Those aren't going to, those aren't going to happen now. And nope. so with none of those happening, you don't get to, you're not going to get to go to Lincoln or you don't get to go to Syracuse or you don't get to go to, Kid from a kid from Florida doesn't get to take that trip to Pitt in the springtime to watch the spring football game and take all that in. And so I think we're going to see a lot of things stay a little bit more localized. Yeah, it's it's going to be crazy. Does the ACC need Virginia Tech to be good? Or like would if North Carolina took that step up, I guess, for however long Mac is there, does is that sufficient? <laughs> I Honestly, I don't. I know folks are going to be upset. I don't think it's sufficient. I, I think it's good for the conference to have a number two, and if that number two is North Carolina, I think that can be really good as a story, especially with Mac Brown there. 
But the reality is, in my mind at least, as like looking at this as like a national observer, Virginia Tech, NC State, Miami, Florida State, they don't have their own stadium, so it's tough to say Pitt. Although I did just say Miami, but Miami's got a little bit more history there. I'm talking myself through this right now. Um, I think that, yeah, I think v, I think Virginia Tech, NC State, my, Florida State, Miami, those are the schools that feel more football. I think UNC can do a really good job. UNC has been good at football. Obviously, the late 90s are a testament to that. But those are the schools where I don't know if, if the atmosphere feels more big time in terms of when, when camera crews come in. And I know you right. just had its moments, but I, I think that those those places, you need somebody else. Even Louisville, Louisville too, feels, and maybe it's recency bias where I look at how good Virginia Tech has, was for so long up until the last few seasons. I look at how good Florida State was up until the last few seasons. I look at, and honestly, I'll be honest, watching Phillip Rivers play in person was was insane. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it was insane. It's it's, it's remarkable, and so I I think that kind of clouds my mind maybe a little bit. Um, but I think those schools, along obviously with Clemson, who probably has the best football culture in the ACC. Although I think oh, Virginia yeah. Tech and Florida State would argue with that, right? Like Virginia, yeah, they have a history. They've got history and they've got culture and they've got all those things. So I, I just I think you need some of those other guys to rise up. Um, and I think it's good for North Carolina to be sitting at that number two spot. I think it's good for the conference for them because of the that can help expand that, that the eyeballs, the footprint, what have you. But I think some of those quote unquote football schools also have to lift the lift the ACC. Like we're talking for the sake of the ACC, I think those football schools got to step up. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Well, you touched on NC State, and we can stop talking about recruiting after this and stuff. But I, I know there's they've had a few commitments recently, I guess, that people are excited about. But before that, it seemed like Carolina was getting all the buzz. Like, is there is, is has his recruiting slipped, or has North Carolina's just picked up? Yeah, I, I don't think their recruiting has slipped. I think UNC's just picked up. But let's be real here. Like, make no mistakes. UNC and NC State have both been very bad at keeping kids at home. Yep. And like you can point to the Mario Williams, you can point to the TA McClendon, you can point to Julius Peppers, you can point to those things, but as a whole you can also point to Todd Gurley and you can point to um goodness gracious the uh, Keith was it Keith Marshall, I think was his name, the other kid that went there. That ended oh, yeah. up at Virginia at Georgia with Todd Gurley, uh, who ended up getting hurt a little bit, so he didn't have live up to the potential. But you think about DJ Humphreys, who I know I think it was a military background, but he still was out of the state of North Carolina, didn't stay at home. You think about Chris Leak going back to like my time, Chris Leak leaving Charlotte. They neither one of those schools could keep him in state. So I think historically it's been really rough to keep up the bulk of that good talent in state while also going out of state to get players. So for me, I think. Both of them doing better is better for the state of North Carolina because it means you get to keep people at home. And that's the part that I think not being able to travel is helping out both of these schools. And I think mm-hmm. the key, like everybody talks about it as a competition between UNC and NC State. For me, 
I just want them to get either one of these schools to get these kids. Either yeah. one. I don't care which school they go to. Either one of them, instead of going to Georgia or Virginia Tech or Tennessee or Florida or Alabama, I just want either one of those schools to try to keep these kids in state. And I think if you look at it that way, as a collective, I think you, I think people will be better off looking at that instead of kind of the infighting when the reality is you're both historically over the last decade, two decades, they're both losing on a lot of these guys. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's, that's good to hear. Cause I know Dave is, you know, last season was rough for them and who knows what this season will bring. Cause quarterback play is still a big question mark, but, um, and they've had a lot of coaching turnover, but that coaching turnover was somewhat necessary. So sure. it'll, it'll be, it's this year will be big for them again, assuming we have one. <laughs> and that's that I, I kind of wanted to get to pandemic football with you too, because it's, in, I mean, just the way this whole thing is playing out, you mentioned recruiting and stuff too, but I, I can't help but think about these players at, at home and you hear about these various things that guys, they're trying to get guys to do to stay in shape and stuff like that. But I mean, look, I can only speak for myself. I have not been staying in the best shape during this pandemic. <laughs> it, it's hard, man. And so I, I guess, but I'm not a college athlete. So what, I guess what's, you know, would what would you be doing during this as a college athlete as they're trying to sort of discipline you from afar? So I got three things. One, as far as staying in shape, I can now do 60 push-ups in a row um, without stopping. Oh. So, which is really wild. Um, <laughs> it's dumb that I can do it, but I'm getting like super like muscly. It's, it's really weird. Um, as far as players go, <laughs> and that's not a brag, I just... I'm just doing a lot of push-ups in between other things. I'm just like, well, let me just go ahead and knock out push-ups until I can't do anymore. And last night I hit 60 and I was like, oh gosh, this is, am I, am I going to be able to do a hundred push-ups before I go back to work? So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's really, okay. yeah. I'm telling you, get on your push-up grind. I'm, I'm doing like 200 push-ups a day. I don't know. I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm taking long walks with the dog. I'm not doing a lot of running cause I don't want to hurt myself and then have to go to the doctor. So Long walks, push-ups, I'm working on it. As far as being a player, I think there are two things to think about when we think about these players and player safety with, with, with respect to a return. One, we have to think about from a strength standpoint, and there are in this, there are haves and have-nots, right? There are players that have a home gym. There are players, not as many players as in the, as in the NFL or in the NBA, but there are players that do have home gyms or access or gym access. And they're going to continue to work out and they're going to continue to get better. And they're continue to, to maintain, even, even if it's not getting better, they're going to maintain the level that they were at before. Um, and there are players that don't have anything, right? And more specifically, players that have added responsibility. So they don't have the time to do anything, even if it's just body weight workouts. If you're back home and you've got to help take care of your little brother or your little sister or take care of grandma or grandpa or your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, you don't have the time to go get that workout in. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be pretty interesting when the salt, when the dust all settles is we're going to find out who could and who could not. And it's not any of their faults. It's just the fact that because you're not on campus, the realities of your life set in. And that's, it's really tough when it comes to working out. The other one, uh, Brownlow is nutrition. And yes, <laughs> we think about it from a strength and conditioning standpoint, but part of strength and conditioning is nutrition. And there are a lot of guys Good food costs money. Good food costs money. And there are a lot of guys coming from like college is a place where we see guys gain 50 pounds because it's the first time in their life they've gotten to eat 
three square meals a day. It's the first time in their life that they know what is good food and what is bad food. It's the first time anybody's talked to them about any of these things. And so, again, it goes to haves and have nots where if you're a kid that lives in a rural or urban food desert, not only are you probably not going to be able to work out, but you're also not going to be able to get the good food that you need. If you're a kid and here's the reality, like think about it from a budget standpoint, feeding an offensive lineman, that costs money. It costs a lot of money. I know because my wife's cousin was a starting left tackle at Michigan State. And I saw the way, like the way, and he, when he got to college, he weighed like 250. They got him up to 280, 285. Wow. And, but college was doing a lot of the food, but his mom was also supplementing. I can only imagine what it would be like if you're one of those guys who's technically undersized as a tight end or as an offensive lineman or as a defensive lineman, and your parents are expecting, like it's summer school time, right? You're supposed to be at school. We don't have to pay for your food. You're at school. And then you reintroduce them into that familial uh, ecosystem where they're supposed to be eating three, four, five, six thousand calories a day. What that does for a mom who's trying to work and she's trying to cook this food, what that does for a dad who's trying to work and he's got to cook this food, what it does to a family's budget to reintroduce that into the atmosphere is absolutely wild. It's like those are the things that I've been thinking about a lot. Like, what would my parents have done if I came home early from school, didn't have my school? So I don't have my meal plan, I don't have training table. I don't have any of these things. And my mom is just like, wait, what? You have to eat how much? You eat a, you, you eat a whole pizza every day and you have four chicken breasts and you eat 12 eggs. Like well, you, you're doing eight egg omelets every single, every single morning. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's Caroline actually started some fun. That's like, apparently it's legal NCAA wise, but fan, like donors can donate to it or fans can just to help guys cover some of these extra costs. And I think yeah. that's probably some of what you're talking about. That's a big need because if guys need to eat a lot, like that's going to cost a lot of extra money. So yeah, because if they're not yeah. eating, because here's the thing, if they're not eating, you lose your muscle mass, you lose your muscle mass, you lose your strength, you lose your strength. Now it's dangerous for yeah. you to be out there on the field. I think that we're probably going to have to have multiple weeks of assessment. Once, once guys get back to campus, multiple weeks of assessment to figure out where everybody is. And then they're going to have to come up with individual plans for each of these players to get back to where they were and then to get better. And I think that's going to be, excuse me, I think, I don't think people realize how much time that's going to take because yeah, it is so, man, football is dangerous as hell. It is a dangerous game. And if you got a guy who has been eating, been working out, been running, and he gets – I'm not even talking about the games. I'm talking about practice. He gets into practice, and they're just going through button press drills or they're working thud tempo against the guy that hasn't really been doing the conditioning, hasn't really been working out. He might be able to fake it through the the, the test or whatever. But once you get in – once the bullets start flying, listen, people are going to get hurt, and I think that's another part of the liability that universities have to really consider because it's going to take them some time before people are ready to play football. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, I, I want to get you out of here because I know you got to go, but that's what I was going to sort of ask you. I mean, there's all these scenarios and we're seeing, you know, the SEC vote to bring guys back on June 1st or June 15th, which I, mm-hmm. w- my eyes literally bugged out when I saw June 1st. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and so, I mean, do you, do you think however, you know, however it might happen, do you think that we have college football this year? I think there's going to be some college football. I'm very curious to see the restructuring because what we're really seeing right now is 
who's in charge, right? And the governor <laughs> is in charge and the university president is in charge and not the conference commissioner who, guess what? You can't be in charge of schools that are in, you know, 10 different states. You can't be in yep. charge of schools that are in seven different states uh, with seven different stay-at-home orders, with seven different uh, ways that they're going to open up campuses. Oh, by the way, let's not forget private schools are going to be able to do something completely different than what everybody else is doing anyway. So yeah, we have no clue what Duke's going to do right now. Yeah, No clue about Duke, no clue about BC. I know I talked to some folks at Notre Dame, Notre Dame, they seem pretty set on not playing unless everyone's back on campus. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how, what form, what shape, what form this takes. And I also am going to be curious to see what the lawsuits look like, where if for two reasons. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. If we want to bring back athletes only for when you have virtual school athletes only now, so why are they coming back, but not everybody else? Cause you got to do make goods for your TV contracts. Yep. So they are employees. So we do need to pay them. <laughs> right. And so I'm very curious to see what that looks like. I'm curious also to see what, um, what, how willing, like, listen, athletic directors and commissioners and coaches, they can talk that big crap all day. But the university presidents are the ones that are assuming the liability because if mm-hmm. you bring these kids back and a kid gets sick and dies or a trainer gets sick and dies or an assistant coach gets sick, now all of a sudden, now you're looking at their family, looking at you going, hey, man, um, what's going on now? Why did God, you even the Even your cook or something, right? Yeah. Like- yeah. The, the, guy, the people that cook at the facility, your janitorials, any of this stuff. And they're on the hook for all of that. And so for me – this isn't the NFL where they have a union that's going to help make this decision. These are individual entities with individual players, with individual university presidents that all have to make this decision. And so, and can you imagine this as a parent, they tell you, can you imagine as a parent, they tell you like, let's say you had two kids, right? They both go to, they both go to you. They both go to big state U and one kid plays, the other kid doesn't play. And big state U says one kid can go back. It's, but it's not safe for the other kid. How do, what do you think about that as a parent? Yeah. I, right. Yeah. Like that's, I, I think that's an interesting, another part of it. That's pretty, that's, that's not just pretty interesting, but it's going to be a hurdle that they have to leap. And it's, it's, it, there's a, there's a lot of mess on the table. Yeah. You can talk yourself into it safer because there's fewer kids, but then you can also look at this for what it is, which is them just saying we need our TV money and this is going to happen because we can't go without this money. And that's the reality of what this is. So, right. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to end on a downer. (laughs) Hey, you know, it's, I know we'd, we'd been, you know, more positive throughout, but it's okay. I mean, it's, it is what it is. Like this is a bad situation, but um, all right. Thanks so much for coming on and offering your perspective. You're great as always. And um, I hope everybody got something out of this. And thanks so much. Until next week, everybody.